Of course, we're going to spend the hour today talking about what happened yesterday, talking about where we are as a country. And right now, I want to welcome two people who were in the middle of what happened yesterday to the conversation. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell is a Democrat from Dearborn who represents Michigan's 12th congressional district. Debbie, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning, Stephen. Good to be with you. And Congressman Andy Levin is a Democrat from Bloomfield Township who represents Michigan's 9th district. I'm going to start with you, Debbie. Talk about what happened yesterday as members of Congress were evacuated from the chamber in which they do their business. Well, I was on the floor when this all began. Uh, We were, the vote of Arizona had been challenged and we had entered into the, according to uh, the law that was written decades ago, two hours of debate is established in both the Senate and the House on the challenge. Uh, And uh, I had been, one of the staff had asked me if I would uh, go to the mic and speak and keep people calm. And I actually had thought that it was a matter of personality calmness, not really understanding what was going on. And they just wanted to keep the proceedings going. So it was substance parliamentary. Uh, And I, law enforcement, was obviously a little intense on the floor, but then they quickly uh, removed the leadership of both parties off of the floor, got told they wanted to keep going, wanted to keep the proceedings going. And then law enforcement came into the chamber, uh, told us that we all needed to sit in our seats, take out our gas masks from underneath the seats. We needed to be prepared to get on the floor very quickly uh, then uh, we started to hear a number of my colleagues were trying, were working with law enforcement to secure the chamber, to put benches and other against the door. We started hearing pounding. We heard gunshots. I could um, begin to get a whiff of the tear gas in the chamber. Uh, and then ultimately, I don't think I realized the kind of danger that was out there while I was there. I was very focused on this being the chamber of the house, that the Capitol is the center of democracy, and we couldn't let anyone hurt it. But we were evacuated, taken to a um, safe uh, uh, place to keep us safe for several hours. And I think that almost everybody had the same attitude that we had to go back last night and do our job, that this was the symbol of democracy, that it is our democracy that is under attack. And all of us, I don't care who you are, every one of us is an American first, and all of us have to work to keep our democracy safe. Yes, yes. Uh, Andy Levin, I wonder if you can share what your experience was like yesterday. Well, I'm happy to talk about that, Stephen, but, uh, and, you know, I will, but I was very moved by your opening, and I'd love to discuss, you know, your, your thoughts on this sure. more broadly. I mean, I've, I've tasted a lot of tear gas in my life, Stephen. I've had a lot of guns <laughs> in my face, and, you know, I, I just never thought it would, I'd see things like this in our own capital. I mean, I, I think back to when I, observed the first attempt at an election in Haiti after the the Duvalier dictatorship was finally over and you know what I saw in Chengdu during the Tiananmen massacre in China 
the idea of this happening here. And if you want, we can talk about my personal experience. But, you know, I give a speech often just like what you beautifully recounted in your opening, although I go back to Nixon's Southern strategy sure. sometimes as a start. So yeah. we, you know, obviously racism in this country goes back to before we were a country. So I'm not sure when to start it. But I would really suggest I don't disagree with you at all. But my take on this, just to put it out there, mm-hmm. is that until we tackle income and wealth inequality in this country, until we give poor and working people a chance, a real ability to see a middle-class life again, uh, the American dream again, I'm worried structurally that we are going to be in this, uh, in this soup of um, demagoguery and um, using racism uh, to whip people up and so forth, and, and nativism and anti-immigrant feelings, anti-Muslim feelings, anti-Semitism. I mean, what, a, what an amazing day, right, that we had sort of the worst moment of American democracy in a way in our lifetimes on the very day that uh, a black man and a Jewish man were elected senators in Georgia. Yes. I mean, my dad, when he wasn't that much older than John Ossoff, he's a very young man, went to Mississippi in 1971 to register voters with a, a young guy named John Lewis. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that blacks and Jews have been fighting for justice shoulder to shoulder for so long. And the idea that this happened and, and there's not there's stories not quite told about the organizing Latino and Asian American communities in particular. Do you know, Stephen, that Asian Americans from Detroit went down yes. to organize in Stacey Abrams' amazing deep person to person kind of way mm-hmm. in Georgia? So, so it was a day of kind of great hope of a possibly different future with this deep, deep despair that we barely held on to our democracy yesterday. Mm, yes. I, I know both of you have to go uh, soon, and I really appreciate you joining us this morning. I know it's been a long, long 24 hours for, for both of you. But but before you go, Debbie, I want to give you a chance to talk about this this strain of our politics that we saw boil over yesterday and where it comes from and what we do to get rid of it. Well, you know, I agree with the comments that both of you have made this morning. But as both of you know, I have long spoken about the fear and the hatred that is dividing this country and is pitting us against each other. And I'm very concerned that we're beginning to see cracks in the foundation of our democracy. None of us can take democracy for granted. We have to work at it every day. We, we somehow in this country don't work with each other anymore. We view fellow citizens as enemies. Uh, we got to address a lot of our underlying problems. COVID has shined a light on the fractures in our healthcare system, the poverty issues that Andy just talked about, many of the issues that you just talked about, Stephen. But I hope that yesterday was a wake-up call for people across America about what is happening 
and that all of us have a responsibility to work to fight for our country, to fight and be part of the communities we are part of, and we cannot take our democracy for granted or the pillars of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell and Congressman Andy Levin, of course, I wish we had more time to spend with you today, but we will have you guys back soon to talk about where we go in our republic. Thank you both for joining us, though, this morning. Thanks so much, Stephen. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to continue talking about what happened in the nation's capital yesterday. Eugene Scott, who covers identity politics for The Fix in The Washington Post, is going to join us. And we are going to get to your calls. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what your reaction is to what happened yesterday. Tell us where you think it comes from. Who's responsible for what we're seeing and how do we fix this? We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking today about what happened yesterday in the nation's capital as a white nationalist insurrectionist mob tried to disrupt the certification of the votes from the Electoral College that make Joe Biden and Kamala Harris the president and vice president-elect of the United States. We want to hear from you this hour about this extraordinary day in American history, something we haven't ever really seen before. Um, how are you? How are you reacting to it? What do you think is behind all of this? What's driving this brand of our politics? And what do you think we need to do to put it down? And I don't use that term lightly. I don't think this is a question of solving differences between two sides. This is a matter of eradicating this brand of politics, this brand of, uh, of belief and action in our society. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put uh, questions there or comments, uh, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to include you in the conversation that way. I want to welcome another voice to the conversation now. Eugene Scott covers identity politics for The Fix in the Washington Post. He's also host of the next four years, a podcast that explores the outcome of the 2020 election and what comes next. Eugene Scott, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me again. Yes. Uh, I want to start with what happened at the nation's capital. Uh, we can't not talk about the racial aspect of this, I believe. Uh, there were so many memes and images circulating yesterday that laid bare the clear difference in police presence between the BLM protests earlier this year and the angry Trump supporters who were in D.C. yesterday. That's one dimension of the racial uh, part of this, but also the motivation behind 
this insurrection, which is, lest we forget, about disenfranchising millions of black voters around the country. It's not a coincidence that the states that have drawn objections uh, from uh, from from people who who want the election to turn out differently uh, are states with big urban areas and lots of black voters. Uh, I, I wonder if you can address both of those uh, both of those issues from yesterday. Absolutely, I have covered uh, race in America for years and and have been a black man in America for even longer, and <laughs> it has just been stunning watching just how differently law enforcement responds. Uh, to white conservatives protesting uh, the results of an election uh, compared to how they respond to black people uh, asking for voting rights or police brutality to end or just for systemic uh, racism in America to be eradicated. Um, And it was startling to so many individuals who are deeply aware of injustices and inequality in America, but to see it... uh, with your own eyes in real time play out, uh, which is quite a different experience. Yeah. Uh, as you have noted, uh, the voters spoke, uh, the state spoke, and the president uh, and his supporters, many of them have been deeply upset with what they have heard. And the reality is that uh, voters in many states that uh, have large black populations, large urban populations, uh, but also large populations of other marginalized groups have decided that they do not want to see Trumpism continue uh, and therefore selected Joe Biden to be the next leader of America. Um, And the reality is uh, the president and many leaders of the Republican Party, including lawmakers that are currently in the Senate, have not supported that and have continued to claim that uh, this election was rigged and unfair and fraudulent without presenting any evidence to suggest uh, that their accusations are supported in fact. And this is the culmination of what uh, has happened, uh, not just over the past few weeks since the election, but years uh, as uh, so many Americans have really battled and uh, engaged in a cultural war about the future of this country. Mm. Uh, The Trump supporters scaling walls and things like that uh, that we saw on the Senate side of the U.S. Capitol, uh, is it even accurate to call this a protest. I mean, the, the, the word to describe what happened yesterday, I think, is something more along the lines of, of coup or terrorism. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of questions that need to be answered by the Capitol Police for the way that they, that they responded to this. Take the racial dimension out of it just for a second. This was a, a very dangerous uh, incursion uh, in in a secure building, and if you watched the footage uh, of, of yesterday, what you saw was Capitol Police, uh, in many cases retreating, uh, in some cases seeming to 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 be fraternizing with the, the people who were who were doing this. Are, are those questions that people are beginning to ask today uh, in Washington? Certainly, and there are people who already have answered it. Uh, There's no doubt that it was, at the very least, an attempted coup. There certainly was a riot. I mean, there were fires on the grounds of the Capitol. Um, And and it would be fair and accurate to suggest 
that these individuals were domestic terrorists, given that our understanding of uh, terrorism is that it is often shaped and influenced by an ideology, many times political, which is the case uh, with these individuals. But deep frustration and disappointment with uh, just how uh, lax the police Many of them were, and even supportive. I mean, there's documentation showing that there are officers uh, taking selfie photos and videos with the individuals who were seeking to storm into the offices of lawmakers that they disagree with. I'm a D.C. native. My father worked in the Capitol as a boy and went when I was a boy. Uh, and I have seen uh, school children attempting to take tours of the Capitol uh, get more forceful and strict responses from police officers than the individuals yesterday did. And it has been deeply, uh, deeply perplexing, I should say, to many of those, many of us who are on uh, the ground here in D.C. and have been for years and wondered why um, law enforcement just could not be consistent and carry out uh, the oaths that they had made to protect the people who visit this city uh, to view these statues and the monuments and buildings dedicated to the democracy that uh, we all, you know, claim to take pride in uh, and want to uh, see carried on past this administration um, safely and, and without insurrection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my guest is Eugene Scott. He covers identity politics for The Fix in The Washington Post. He's also host of The Next Four Years, which is a podcast that's exploring the outcome of the 2020 election and, importantly, very importantly, what comes next. I think that question looks really different in the light of day today, given the things that happened yesterday, unprecedented kinds of things that happened uh, as an attack on our democracy and our government. Uh, as always, we want to hear from you about your reaction to what you saw yesterday in, in Washington. And also, we want to hear what you think some of the solutions look like. How do you get rid of this strain, this brand of American politics, which I said in the open has been courted implicitly and explicitly by the Republican Party for several decades. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's start with uh, Chris in Ann Arbor. Chris, welcome to the show. Are you there, Chris? Hello. Hi. Yes. Um, wow. Well, this, this didn't happen by accident yesterday. The, the people who did this are a group, a demographic that has been um, a marketing machine for the Republican Party as it is now. These people have been courted and uh, solicited to provide the kind of rioting yesterday. This isn't the first time many of them have been in Washington, D.C. In the last few months, they've been harassing Black Lives Matter activists. They have been having their <clears throat> MAGA monster man presentations 
week after week. And this, this really is the result of coordinated efforts to maintain white male suprematism mm -hmm. in this country. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. And that's what's been, that's what's been, has been thought. And this is not just Donald Trump. Right. This is a machine. This is like-minded people who have made a concerted effort to, to have to encourage this group, this very specific demographic, to lie to them and get them to be an echo chamber for this white supremacist, which is white male supremacy yeah. always. Yes. Uh, and the Chris, men doing this stuff yesterday were white men for the most part. For the most part, yes. And Chris, I, I, I don't mean to cut that. you off, but I, I want to make sure we get to as many uh, comments as we can and, of course, uh, hear from our guests. But I really appreciate the call and, and your thoughts. Eugene Scott, I opened the, the show today talking about this link between Republican politics and this brand of racial resentment and sometimes violence. Uh, that it is both implicit and uh, explicit, uh, and that it has its roots in the modern Republican Party, that Ronald Reagan uh, kicked off his candidacy for the presidency uh, in Neshoba County, Mississippi, a place he had no connection to. But, of course, it is the place uh, where, where Freedom Summer activists were murdered in 1964, uh, in, in my mind, that is the frame in which this modern picture uh, of what we saw yesterday uh, exists. And I think that's what Chris is, is, is getting at there, too. Um, I wonder what you make of that analysis. Yes, it is incredibly appropriate. And, and I would say it goes even before then. I mean, we know that uh, the quote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, uh, that President Trump has repeated uh, came from Richard Nixon in response to uh, anti-racism protests uh, from black Americans uh, in the 60s. But we saw yesterday uh, that there can be looting in the Capitol and there will be no shooting as long as those involved are supporters of the Republican leadership mm. that is in control and in power. And so the inconsistency and the frustration uh, that is happening um, it's not something that started in 2015 when President Trump announced that he would seek the White House. But this is years and decades in the making uh, and shows no signs of changing because the reality is uh, President Trump has the support of some of the youngest Republican lawmakers in office right now, as well as uh, some uh, activists and those uh, out, outside of Washington and hoping to be leaders in the party in the future. And they are going to continue to embrace this template because it is so popular with uh, the GOP. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, again, uh, Chris, thank you very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Jamal in Midtown. Jamal, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, man? Good, how are you? Not too bad. Um, just to keep it brief. The thing that really got me that kind of shook me once I thought about it was the image of those ballots. Thinking about had they gotten in there and gotten to those ballots, everything from that point would have been even more contested because there's no way to – I don't know what the process is to verify that. 
And I think one thing for me that I think will end up becoming like the flag being raised at Iwo Jima is the picture of those ladies carrying those ballots away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamal, I, uh, that that was a striking image as well. And it spoke to the vulnerability of that moment. Uh, I think uh, so often when this happens in Washington, which is every four years, we, we take it for granted. We just figure, well, Congress is going to certify the Electoral College vote, and it happens without much coverage even, let alone fanfare. But 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 seeing them carrying that box yesterday as people were coming into the Capitol to disrupt that process, you're right, absolutely brought into focus how how fragile all of this is and, and how, uh, but for uh, a fair amount of luck, I think, yesterday, uh, we averted a, a pretty significant crisis. Uh, Eugene Scott, I want to ask you about the role of some of the Republicans in Congress uh, and Vice President uh, Mike Pence, who has been one of Trump's most loyal allies. We did see them react yesterday. We did see them, for the most part, condemn what happened. I think the question is how enduring that sentiment will be. In other words, uh, they, 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 they don't want to be associated with this kind of violence, but are, are they still going to be willing to uh, be associated with the brand of politics that, again, implicitly and sometimes explicitly embraces uh, all of that? You know, we saw some of them react. Uh, we saw some Republican lawmakers still defend the uh, protesters or rioters. Uh, and But the overwhelming majority certainly did speak out and support moving the uh, elector- election process forward with Biden and Kamala Harris as the president and vice president uh, of the country moving into our next phase. However, uh, the reactions that I think we must pay the closest attention to to determine what, how the GOP will respond is the reaction of the voters. And so it, some of these individuals who refuse to speak out in support of Trump uh, could very well lose their seats because the majority of Republican voters still support President Trump. And even if they don't support these actions to this extreme, uh, they will be looking for someone who can somehow take the ideals of Trumpism and and make them laws and make them more grounded in the America that we currently are, with the hope that in the future, the ideas that are threatening uh, the conservative movement uh, will have uh, less strength. And the voters ultimately have the power here, not the lawmakers. And I think when you think about the Republican lawmakers who have expressed support for uh, the rioters and for Trump, it is in part because they understand that if they do not, they can lose the power and influence that matter deeply to them. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Again, Jamal, really appreciate the call and uh, the comments. Uh, Let's go to Sammy in Dearborn. Sammy, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you very much uh, for the opportunity. And I just want to make it tight and straight to the point in respect for the program time and other listeners. Uh, Yesterday, I was watching the news as an expert in the media, as also an Arab-American activist, human rights activist, and I saw a scene that brought me back to years in my home country, Egypt. Unfortunately, what I saw 
the mob taking over the symbol uh, of democracy and demolishing the law of order uh, in this country, it shocked me. I said, well, I became an immigrant for several reasons. This is one of the most important ones, to live the democracy and respect others based on the law. What's happened yesterday is a huge shock for me. Mm. And I understand that from uh, dictatorship uh, countries that the people in power or the president in power can call his supporters to the street, but not in a democracy, not in the United States. This is like, wow, Mm. is this for real? Yeah. Sammy, I'm really, really glad you called because one of the thoughts I had as I was watching what happened yesterday was about people who come here from countries where that is the way differences get resolved. And I was even thinking about the people who preceded the folks who were doing what they were doing in Washington yesterday. I I would imagine that many of them are descended from immigrants from countries where they were fleeing this kind of political expression. And the irony of that, the sad irony of that, really, really struck me uh, yesterday. Sammy, I'm really glad that uh, that you called uh, to share that with us. Okay, Eugene Scott uh, of The Washington Post, it's always great to talk with you here on Detroit Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank we're, you. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the other important, hopeful news of yesterday, these Georgia Senate runoff races in which you saw unusual turnout among people who often don't vote. We're going to talk with someone who has been working on the ground in Georgia trying to get people to vote. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.